I recorded the uh, I recorded that whole conversation. Oh, good. Because I'm always because I'm always recording. I'm live streaming. I was hoping you guys would say something funny so I could cut it out and use it to open the show. <laughs> Hey Dave, I hear, I hear something over on your end of the line. Do do you hear it? Like like background noise? No, no, no. It's like a it's like a beard. Yes. It sounds like a there's is there a beard on your end? Yeah, let me check. Yes, yes, there is one. Uh, does does the beard want to be on the show? Uh, maybe, possibly. Oh, Who's that? is that Adam? It is. It is. I don't usually lead with the beard, but uh, I'm happy to this time. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Adam Clater. Yes. Uh, solutions architect uh, manager now at uh, Red Hat Public Sector um, and a, a dear colleague of, uh, of both Dave and I. Um, Adam, anything you want folks to know? Uh, we'll, we'll get into all of that, I feel sure. This will be our opportunity. All right, fair enough. Uh, Dave, how are you doing? What's new? Um, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go home. I'm, I'm here with Adam in the Tyson's office and... Uh, my flight is tonight, and hopefully everything's going to work out well. I'm looking forward to it. How about you? What are you up to? Uh, I just got home, actually. We were together this week, were, were we not? It was really weird to like work sitting next to you and using a marker board in the same room. <laughs> it, was, it, right. it was very productive, but just awkward. Yes, it was. It was awkward. Um <laughs> Instead of this disembodied voice, that, that's yeah. right. I, f- I found my I found myself not looking at you. I found like I could not because yeah. yeah yeah I felt more comfortable awkward. that way. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, cool. Well, what do we got? What do we, what's going on with the show? What what's on the what's on the docket? Yeah. So we have uh, bad BIOS and unreliable narrators, um, and uh, we're going to talk about how eighty five percent of Android is crap. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to talk about warrant canaries. Uh, and we also have our special guest star, Adam Clater, uh, who's going to tell us all about his experience with OpenShift, and, uh, and one example is using OwnCloud. Oh, right on. Yeah. Excellent. Um, and so if folks want to uh, learn more about any of the items that we're going to talk about today, where do they go? Adam, where would they go? I personally would go to dgshow.org. Yeah, so it's uh, D is in Dave, G is in Gunner, show.org. Yep. Yep, and uh, and don't forget to check us out on iTunes. Please uh, give us a give us a rating on iTunes, preferably a high rating on iTunes, because that actually helps with people. Yeah, it only works with fives. It only works with fives. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One through four are broken. Yep. Otherwise, oh. Lauren will cry. Don't make Lauren cry. <laughs> That's bad. And and nice. Gunner, what what app did I just install to find you guys on my phone? Oh, uh, Beyond Pod, uh, yeah. which is the which is the official uh, podcasting. Uh, app for uh, the Dave and Gunner show on Android. And so when I installed BeyondPod, all I had to do was type in Dave and Gunner show in the search box, and you appeared. So that was wonderful. Yep. That's excellent. Oh, God, the internet works. That's amazing. <laughs> Love it. That's so good. Um, so, But we got a cutting room floor, too, and it's actually a really great cutting room floor this week. Um, we've got uh, uh, <laughs> super hipster uh, penny-farthing bicycles made out of carbon fiber. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got... Uh, uh, an airport littered with grave markers, which is gross. Um, and then uh, the People's Liberation Photoshop Army uh, right. and the good work that they're doing uh, inserting Chinese leaders into unlikely situations. <laughs> yes, that, I think that could be a picture of the week. 
I th- I I think we may very well get a picture of the week out of that. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so uh, Dave, you remember we were doing a doing some follow up here. You remember we were talking about bad bios? Yeah, I was um, I was talking about uh, a, a novel. If I were to quit my job and write a novel about how a uh, science fiction novel about how viruses can go from speakers to microphones and certain things. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so now the uh, the internet, or I guess the computer security community, is now on fire. Um, there has been a schism. Uh, people are extremely remain extremely skeptical of whether bad BIOS is true, uh, whether it is a paranoid fantasy, um, and it's really interesting to see the kind of back and forth. Uh, it's all fairly well summed up by uh, this one Ars Technica um, article, uh, which we'll include in the show notes. Uh, but the the controversy itself is. Uh, is really interesting. There's uh, because it's so it's a difficult the the attacks as described are difficult to identify in the first place and are almost by their nature like difficult to repeat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so everyone is really really struggling to confirm uh, that this happened to more than one guy or whether it happened at all. Mm. Yeah, it's a good read. It's still a good story though. It's a great story. It's great, a great plot. Story. Yeah. 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 So are you? Um... And I know we're going to talk about your Nexus Five, but are, are you going to get a uh, tattoo of a of a smartphone microphone on your throat? Right on my throat. Right on my throat. Yeah, I feel like that's part. So, how does that work? And this is Motorola who's doing this, right? Of course. Yeah. It, but which is to say, Google, which makes it a little bit even more creepy. Yeah. So yeah, speaking of, of microphones and listening and catching viruses, and why not just put a microphone right in your throat? Um, what what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> And, and, you know, whenever you're not getting the deep brain stimulation thing, you might as well just stick in a microphone next to it. So, so what, are they, what are they doing? They're like, they're, in, I, I don't understand how that would work. Is it like they're, they're tattooing metal into your throat or something like that? Or how does it, the mecha- what are the mechanics of it? Yeah. So the, first of all, you need to go to the show notes so you, so you can see the link where it's a beautiful drawing of, of a nice person. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a microphone with a transceiver and power supply that is designed to be tattooed on your throat. So it, it gets vibrations directly from your larynx uh, to cut out background noise. Um, so noise, nice noise cancellation, and uh, um, so it could do Bluetooth, near field communications, wireless protocols, um, and uh, that would have a battery pack that may or may not be rechargeable. So. <laughs> so Dave, does this mean I could pay for gas using my neck? Is that what that NFC is? <laughs> you, you have to rub your neck up against the yeah. gas pump. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Sign me like up. Some, yeah. It's like, like, it's like a William Gibson novel with food poisoning. Right. So you apply it to uh, other animals beyond humans as oh. well. So. But what, to what end? Just for yucks? Well, that means you could pay for gas with your dog, for example. <laughs> you rub your, yeah, you rub your dog up against gas. Or, or yeah. guinea pig. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's more, it's more portable. Right. Yeah. <laughs> more passive, too, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then the other thing I saw, too, there's, um, you, you were talking about the uh, Chrome to butt, uh, or I'm sorry, Cloud to butt Chrome extension that would substitute the word cloud with, or with butt on web pages, and XKCD has another one. I don't know, did you see that? Gunner, where yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty awesome. So it's basically it'll make the news stories a lot more fun. So every everywhere it says witnesses, um, it, it replaces the word witnesses with uh, these dudes I know, 
Um, and, and instead of space, it's space and, you know, things like that. So it's, and, and so it was a cartoon that they actually created, uh, they turned it into a Chrome extension. So it's pretty cool. The question I have is if I install this in a browser, can I hide the fact that it's installed there? Oh, I see where Adam's going with this. Yeah. Adam, Adam wants to pull a prank. That's right. That's right. Yep. And you want it to go into somebody's microphone in their neck. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What does that do, right? Like, So what if we combine the neck microphone with the bad BIOS? Like, Does this mean I can start getting germs from listening to the wrong music? Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. I just downloaded uh, version 2.3 of Strep Throat. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's exactly. I heard the update's a lot more painful. <laughs> so speaking of apocalypse and, and end of the world, um, so uh, we were talking about how much we enjoy The Walking Dead. Um, so there's now a, you know, like you always have these Monopoly versions, like different versions of Monopoly for... Um, you know, different things. Now there's one for uh, Risk. So, you know, Risk, the, the game of strategic conquest, is, is, so it's now fortified with zombies. There's a uh, um, uh, Walking Dead survival edition of Risk. Mm. That sounds like fun. Yeah. That sounds like, so Risk, I mean, the, the joy of Risk, I mean, it's not that it's not a fun game, but the, um, I, can, I can see putting a new skin on it as making it a lot more fun. Yes. Yeah. It's you get a little less Napoleonic. You know, that's sort of mm-hmm. dated. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, huh. Interesting. So instead of countries, is it like, like parking garages and like abandoned farmhouses and stuff like that? I, I think it's like Woodbury and, you know, uh, you know, like the different, different little towns that, that, that are surrounding the, uh, oh, right, right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so Georgia, it takes place in Georgia. Yeah, pretty much. That's great. Yeah, so there's there's farmland, there's the National Guard outpost, um, uh, things like that. Elementary school, uh, golf course, golf course, landfill, abandoned landing strip. Yeah, mm. cool. Yeah, but so the did prison ever actually play Risk? Because I remember it taking forever to get through this game. And I just feel like maybe you would risk turning into a zombie if you played this for too long. <laughs> yes. Right. No, I, That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, the, I'm sure there are a lot of people that have played Risk, but not many have finished. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. All right. And then, and uh, speaking of uh, uh, strategic conquest, uh, the Nexus 5 is out. And Gunner, you got one. I know, I'm holding it in my hand right now. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm barely listening to you. I'm too busy reconfiguring all my applications right. um can we talk about that for a second the, the how painful it is to move from one phone to another um you, you know google has uh google and both of the uh, google and apple have this have these backup mechanisms that they that they give you so you know it'll remember a certain number of things like your identity and your wi-fi passwords and stuff like that but um it doesn't extend to the rest of the applications on the phone so I, I knew that when I got this phone, I would have to block out like four or five hours to, you know, like reconfigure all my two factor apps, um, you know, configure the podcasting app, all this, all the rest of it. Some apps make it easier to move from one place to another. Like they'll allow you to export settings and then import them into the new, into the new app. But, um, how is it that neither of these platforms have like a comprehensive configuration backup mm-hmm. dingus? Right, that seems so obvious. Well, does um, does Apple do that with like if I know like if you blow away your phone and then they give you a new one, you can restore mm-hmm. it. But does that 
survive across like hardware generations? That is a good question. I don't, yes, they would, they will do a full restore for you. Um, I don't know if you can use it to migrate. I suppose you could. Um, I mean, they do have the benefit of having a totally predictable number hardware. of, uh, yeah, the hardware. So they wouldn't have to have too many variations, but yeah, I don't know. I don't, it's just weird that that doesn't exist. Wasn't that kind of the idea with the uh, Dropbox API, right? That-, uh, it, uh, that was the next place I was going with that. Yeah, the the Dropbox, the whole business model of Dropbox is it's going to get its uh, tentacles into app configuration because it's a Dropbox is like a natural solution to that, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. Um, but then they got to also Dropbox would have to convince all of the app developers to actually use their API to store the configurations. Yes. Yeah. Which is trickier. You would think that Google and Apple would ju- would just fall over themselves to for the opportunity, that. yeah, to actually prevent Dropbox from from creating that niche, right? And they haven't. There's been no real response. I mean, the guys over at Nimbus Base. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They've got a sort of a an open sort of API for doing that. So as an app developer, you just write to Nimbus Base, and then wherever your user decides to store, if it's on like Google Drive or on Dropbox, it's all cool. Um, but I don't know. I haven't seen anyone else really doing that. And it also kind of scares me that people are going to get locked in there to drop off. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. But you know, the, it, it's a great phone. It's a beautiful phone. It's funny. Um, the, the screen on the phone is gorgeous. Um, and is actually has a higher resolution than my laptop. Yes. It's amazing. Which is crazy town. Um, is it, is it noticeable that you worth it or is it like just eye limiting? And you can't tell. Uh, I can't tell right now. I haven't. I haven't. I know. I can't tell. I honestly can't tell, which is great. Um, I mean, again, I've been playing with it for all like ninety minutes. Um, yeah. It was actually delivered to my house on Tuesday, uh, right after I got in an airplane to fly oh. to Washington. Oh. Uh, yeah. So it's actually been sitting at home in a box for three days by itself. Wait, by itself. Very very lonely. Very yeah. lonely. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so we've been spending some quality time together the last 90 minutes. Um, so I don't, it's not like I've got a deep, like ours Technica level review of this thing, but, um, it's, uh, it's, it really is a nice piece of hardware. It feels good in your hand. doesn't feel cheap. Um, it's got a, it's a good size anyway. All right. I'm going to stop gushing about this. Um, one thing I do like about the Nexus devices, uh, this is my sec- third Nexus device is, uh, the utter lap lack of crapware on the uh, on the phone it is as they say the pure google experience which i enjoy very very much um and dave you found an article from our good friends at north carolina state university yes and th- there are good friends because we were a uh, tenant uh on mm-hmm. that campus for many many years <laughs> that's right. so when we, <laughs> that's right so, so when we say friends we mean landlords <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so uh the cs department uh at nc state have uh discovered that uh one of the best ways to protect your mobile phone is to get rid of all the crapware on it. Um, and so they, it says that um, our results show that vendor custom, customizations are responsible for a large portion of vulnerabilities in each phone. Um, so the, and so they said there's like between like 64 to 85 percent of the vulnerabilities were due to vendor customizations. Um, and so what was interesting is that there is it. It seems like the more you fork, the less people are looking at the same code, right? So it's less secure. Um, and, and then the other part of it is, to me, is the more crapware you put on, the bigger your attack surface. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, and yeah, I, I was thinking similarly. Um, it made me wonder whether anyone had done studies of uh, 
defects in software and whether that was correlated to the number of consumers of that software. Yes. Um, that would be, that would be very interesting. Um, cause you would think that the more people that tinker with the thing would, the more people that tinker with the thing would decrease the likelihood that you would find flaws because more people would expose bugs and then you'd go and fix them. Um, although I suppose that presupposes that people would bother fixing bugs when they found them. Um, which, oh, interesting, which the mobile vendors would, would not really have a huge incentive to do, uh, because everyone already bought the phone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. They, they have no incentive to update it cause it's, there's no subscription model or, you know, right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Interesting. Yep. Huh. So let's, let's lighten things up a little bit. Um, and, and I'll, I'll, let me give you a quiz. Okay. So what, what do the following have in common? Um, the controls for two hydroelectric plants in New York, mm-hmm. a generator at a Los Angeles foundry, an automated feed system at a Pennsylvania pig farm, mm-hmm. a Los Angeles pharmacy prescription system, mm. and the surveillance cameras at a casino in Czechoslovakia. What, what, all, what do they all have in common? It should be obvious. R- right. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, it's so obvious. I don't even want to... I don't even want to say it. You don't want to insult anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, they're all exposed on the internet right now. <laughs> totally exposed. So you can go there. You can go to the show notes. There's a link to a Wired article where they have screenshots where you could you could take a look at the um, uh, hydroelectric plants in New York, see the uh, uh, feed system at the big farm, all that stuff. So what is the what is the matter with people? Mm-hmm. Actually. Wait, no, you know what? I'm actually, I'm going to change my criticism. Um, so on one hand, what does it matter with people plugging these systems, which obviously don't need internet connections into, you know, the internet. Um, but on the other hand, these same like SCADA systems, like the same industrial computing systems get dinged all the time for not patching frequently enough or not, you know, uh, or having security vulnerabilities when people can get access to them. Yeah. Um, and so the solution to that obviously is, not go ahead and write better software, although certainly that helps. The solution to uh, a system that has like institutionally has a lot of vulnerabilities is you make sure that you can patch them as frequently and fully as possible, right? And that almost demands that they be connected to the internet. Yep. So it's kind of this trade-off, right? Like you want them to have access to the internet uh, so that you can keep up with security fixes, but you by pulling a plug on the internet, you are uh, you're reducing the, uh, reducing the attack surface. Um, although, <laughs> although as we saw with Stuxnet, um, unplugging things from the internet doesn't necessarily help. <laughs> no, or, or if yeah. you have a microphone in your computer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's right. Or your throat or whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Huh. I don't know. So, so Dave, do you see, I, I kind of, I, I kind of play with this thought of these industrial systems whose, life cycles are measured in say decades, right? Um, I kind of see between the economics of having to build these like purpose built industrial systems and the exposure of the security, you know, and having these security problems that are very, very difficult to remediate. It seems like the industry would trend towards using more commodities or at least off the shelf software and also trend towards better connected. Yeah. Well, if you think about all of these systems also represent a data point, right? So they're all sensors. 
they're all going to tell you about something that's happening in your business. So I think that connectivity is a at this day and age a must, right? That's why they're there. I would. Guess. That's a good point. Yeah, a surveillance camera is a lot less interesting if you can't look at, look at it. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and maybe this could be the other thing going back to what we were saying about like with the the phone vendors is that if somebody buys like a security camera or whatever and for security updates, it's like there's no financial incentive for a company to keep providing updates if they already got their money. Yep. Yep. That's right. That's right. Although I have, I, although I suspect that there is a very, very costly maintenance tail on most of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Can yeah. you imagine, can you like, can you imagine what the support fee is on an automated feed system? Oh, tremendous. That seems like, that seems like that would be expensive to keep up. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I don't, I don't know. Interesting. You'll have to ask a farmer. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Any farmers listening, please yeah. let us know what's the what's the maintenance tail on an automated feed system. <laughs> Dave goes to Pennsylvania. Yeah, I've heard this. Yeah. They, yeah, they have farms in Ohio too. Well, yeah. let's. I'll, okay, I'll do some investigative yeah. reporting. <laughs> yeah. I ride my motorcycle over to a farm and that's ask the farmer. Yeah. So, so Dave, in an earlier show, uh, switching topics here for a second, we t- we were t- we had a, a link to a, a heads-up display that Garmin had built. Um, so it's like a Bluetooth device you stick on your dashboard, and it projects yeah. information coming off of your mobile phone onto your uh, onto your windscreen mm-hmm. uh, like you were a fancy fighter pilot. Right, right, right. right. Um, but you found this link to Google has taken it; they're taking it to another level. This is a different. This is this is amazing. Yeah, so they want to replace uh, car dashboard buttons with uh, hand gestures. So, like waving your hand around to, to do gestures. And and just knowing that that we were just in New Jersey, I was just thinking about some of the hand gestures that you know there would be like <laughs> local customs that people you know, hey, I got your gesture right here, you know, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it was interesting. Huh. To me, I wonder what's wrong what's with the volume knob. Yeah, right. You know, that's exactly. I'm trying to figure out what problem they're solving. What's right. What's wrong with the volume knob on the steering wheel? That seems to work yeah. pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Like, are they? Are, first of all, if the goal is to create like a, a richer experience inside the cabin of a car, then that seems counterproductive, right? Because <laughs> I mean, the government's come down and said a number of times, like, we want the dashboards to be less interesting. <laughs> Please, yeah, you know. and keep both hands <laughs> on the wheel. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, maybe it's for passengers. Oh, I don't. Maybe there's like maybe there's like a SpongeBob SquarePants gesture. <laughs> yeah, but what if it goes wrong? You know, I mean, you've got yeah. like a nine month old sitting in the back seat backwards or whatever the current regulations are, and they throw their arms up, and who knows what comes on or what <laughs> right. music you end up listening to? I mean, <laughs> that's right. Throw the emergency brake. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I was right. talking to the, yeah. Yeah. So, well, the solution to that, of course, is to keep your children in. Uh, uh, in straight jackets yeah. or, or the trunk, right? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. The trunk. Yeah. Oh, that's a lot easier. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, let's see what else we got. Oh, speaking of drop, we're going to talk about Dropbox a lot today. I suspect, um, Dave, you found this thing frenzy. Yes. Tell yeah. me, tell me more. So this is pretty interesting. It's a open source project. Unfortunately, it only runs on Mac right now, but it's open source. So people can change it. If they are so willing. Um, but it's a Dropbox powered social network. So the way it works is that you basically run the app on your Mac and um, and you can set up like a shared network, you know, like that, but it's all through the folder sharing with Dropbox. And so if you add someone to your network, you, you basically, like let's say I provide like a status update 
And then the status update just basically writes to a shared folder that I have in on my uh, disk on on Dropbox, and then everybody else w- that is sharing that folder will be will synch- periodically pull that out and see it in their feed. So it's basically a serverless and uh, a serverless way to do social media without the creepiness of having a third party monetize um, uh, monetize you for what you like and what you know what what you're sharing and stuff like that. So it's, I, except I would, except possibly Dropbox, right? Yeah, what could go wrong there? Yeah, well, so but the, it could be. What if you did something like a like if you did that with Spider Oak? That could fix mm-hmm. that problem, right? Well, see, I was thinking I was thinking uh, BitTorrent Connect. Have you guys played with that? No, I, I don't think we. Yeah, did, no. I don't think we talked about this on the show actually. So uh, the guys at BitTorrent have a peer to peer file sharing. Uh, app um it's for a bunch of platforms and oh yeah we did but there was it was like a backup a peer-to-peer backup one yeah it's a little bit like a if if i said it's BitTorrent's answer to dropbox yeah. that's basically that's basically what this is yeah we um, talked so, about yeah 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 so the, so it seems like you could use whatever client frenzy has to do the to present the data that lives on that Dropbox folder. Yeah. Um, you you'd probably use exactly that same client on a BitTorrent Connect, and then you could have a truly like peer-to-peer thing, and there would be no central organizing anything, and yep. and cryptograph- cryptographically secure, which would be nice. Yeah, I wonder if it's not just using a, a, a directory structure that it knows is being replicated, yeah. right? So like you could do it with NFS, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Why not? Huh. Yeah. I do like the I do like the idea because that's uh, so I suppose it's like dropping a bunch of XML files in the directory and then just your client knows what to do with those XML files. I presume that's that's yeah. what this is. Yeah. That's a nice way to do it. Oh, wait, I wonder if you could do it with OwnCloud. Do you know anybody that knows anything about OwnCloud, Connor? Uh, I don't know. I, you know, it's funny. I read this article on OpenSource.com. It came out and it's uh, actually the most popular article on OpenSource.com right now. And I can't remember who wrote it. Adam, do you remember? Yeah, yeah, that was that was me. Some, some dude um, with a beard. Uh, yeah, yeah I, some beard. I wrote it with my beard. Is what <laughs> uh, yeah, and you know, uh, it's it was cool because um, when you first started talking, you know, we we were talking about sort of the Dropbox lock-in, and I'm, you know, that's that's not my cause du jour, but it's certainly something that uh, is of interest, right? Because I think that Dropbox feels like nice and warm and fuzzy and like you own your data, but really it's always somewhere else. And, you know, so it just kind of, it's it's an interesting lock-in potential that they have. So I started looking into OwnCloud and, and uh, I mean, it was simultaneously, it seems like it appeared on OpenShift. So I was able to test OwnCloud on OpenShift without like, you know, twiddling any servers at all. It just sort of appeared for me. Um, so that was really great. So I don't see why we couldn't have, uh, what is this, a frenzy social network running directly on OpenShift via, like, uh, own cloud by 4.30 or, well, I guess that hour's passed. Um, but yeah. Cool. Huh. That, that, so what are the, oh, that's really interesting. I got a whole bunch of questions now about being able to create, um, purpose built ad hoc social networks. Mm-hmm. Um, because the because like you say, Adam, like the setup time and the teardown time is basically zero. That's right. Um, and so, like creating a social network, like just for the duration of one conference, yeah, something like that, right? Yeah, or, cool. or like a burner, a burner one for people who want to do bad things. 
That's really a great idea. Not the bad things, but um, yeah. or good things, or good things. Yeah, no, but you're right. Just about like an ad hoc. I think what would be more interesting is if there was just a service built around that, right? Like here, spawn your ad hoc social network. Here are all the resources that you'll have access to. It's going to mm-hmm. expire in 15 days, for example. Oh, and if you want uh, 30, 45, 70 days, you can pay for that. Yeah, yeah. Huh. And that could be interesting for like a conference or something. Yeah. Where, you know, there's a short shelf life. Anytime you tried to spin lots of people from disparate places up uh, working on a project or. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Neat. Okay, that's, uh, that's patented. I just patented that. That's yep. patented. Yeah, you got to also make sure that you got to work a neck uh, tattoo of a microphone into it, too. <laughs> Dragon dictate. Yeah. Actually, we can call the we can call the software neck phone. <laughs> <laughs> can we call the open source version neck beard so that there's no like collision? <laughs> neck sus. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So, wait, so Adam, tell me a little bit more. So, we've talked about OwnCloud on the show before, but we've really just described it as like a Dropbox replacement. Um, can you can you spend a little bit of time talking about like what OwnCloud can do? Because it's actually much more than that. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. So one of the coolest things about OwnCloud, and one of the things that I don't see sort of the other players in the space doing yet, A, of course, is that it's it's open source. Um, but B, they've got an entire plugin framework and an app store in place. So if, if you want to extend it uh, to be able to connect to other services, right, there's a plugin that'll connect to your Google Drive and Do- uh, Dropbox and uh, Amazon S3 and, and a variety of other, like, sort of, uh, services. So this can become sort of your metadata store, right? Um, there are others for on-disk encryption and uh, virus scanning and blah, 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 right? So uh, the fact that it's so extensible um, is is really the appeal to me uh, because I think there's a lot of space there for innovation, right? So another cool and sort of interesting thing that the OwnCloud guys are talking about um, in like the beta that's currently out for OwnCloud 6 is there's going to be sort of a, a joint doc editing, sort of like Google Docs and Etherpad and mm. and those kind of features? Um, that is cool. That is yeah. cool because I've been I, I've been uh, Google Docs is like really heavyweight and everybody needs a Gmail login and stuff like that. And, and uh, Dave, you and I, we use Etherpad and actually Adam. I mean, we all use Etherpad all the using time. Using it right I re- now. Yeah, reason right now, and I I really like it because there's no real login. It's just it's a burner, right? Yeah, um, there are no quick fonts. Doc editing. Yeah, oh, and speaking yeah. of burners, another cool feature I like about um, OwnCloud is that you can basically have burner URLs. So let's say I was going to take all of the videos that uh, you guys recorded at FedScoop for the government symposium, and I was going to put them on my uh, on my OwnCloud, and I wanted to send those URLs out to my friends, but I didn't want them to be available forever. I can set an expiration on that URL and make it expire in, like, four days or something. Hmm. Oh, awesome. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So no, but it, and it also does like it has like calendaring and contacts and like for well, the last time I looked at it, it looked suspiciously like they were turning it into like a full blown like collaboration like office suite. It, well, it's got CardDAV and CalDAV support, so you can get all that sync into it. I mean, it's you know I hate to gush about it because it's not my product, but it's it's pretty sweet. It does a lot of cool stuff. So and 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 if people want to try it out, it, you can literally hit four buttons on OpenShift and start up a version of your own. It's amazing. Yeah, it's limited to a gig, right? Because that's the storage that uh, OpenShift OpenShift provides. But you could buy more. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, the free gear is going to be limited. Um, but as far as just being like, even if you just wanted to set it up as somewhere to persistently have uh, contacts and 
uh, calendar calendar stuff yeah. persisted from your phone. Boom, you mm-hmm. get a spot right there. So. Cool. Right on. Um, so, yeah, so I'm glad you mentioned the uh, FedScoop Cloud videos because that is the next thing that we wanted to talk about, which was the government symposium, which yep. uh, went off on uh, on Wednesday and was just great. It was so much fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a packed room. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's see. So actually, so so Dave, what was your favorite? What was your favorite thing there? Well, I you know we were talking about own cloud and it running on OpenShift, but there was I, I liked the one uh, uh, Aaron Pestle did the uh, an OpenShift panel and and uh, a bunch of customers how they're using OpenShift and it was like really really positive. They're really excited about that. I thought I thought it was pretty cool and. Okay. Uh, a lot of people talk to us about the the podcast too, like like Nermal. He's he's insisting that he gets back on the show. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he he, he in the bar afterwards. He 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 buttonholed me and he was like he was like I want to be on the show. Seriously, get me on the show. So I get so pretty soon. Everybody, look, you can you're looking forward to uh, getting Nermal on the Nermal on the. Yeah. We, we have to have show. our people reach out to his people. And... <laughs> that's right. That's right. I, I think he needs to be required to grow the beard out a little more before he's allowed on the show. It's kind of short right now. Oh, it's like beards on. Oh, we can have like we could have a regular spot like to this week's beard. Yeah, B- uh, beards of a feather. Beards. Oh, I see what you did there. Got that. Oh, I see what you. Did. Yeah, that was good. What, oh, so Adam, what was your favorite part of the show? Uh, so um, I love walking into it and like it's it's just a packed house. Like there's all these um great customers and partners, and I did get to spend a lot of time uh with customers and talk to them about what we're doing in their agencies or, or what we could be doing. Uh, there's a lot of excitement around OpenStack and OpenShift, but but I also really really like walking into the partner pavilion um, mm-hmm. because it's it's you know it's a really big group of people who really believe in providing like cool services to the government in an open sourcey sort of way um, and working with Red Hat to do that and that's that just gives me sort of that warm tingly feeling. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, for me, I my favorite part was. Uh, like I took a step back, like all the individual sessions were great. Um, general Nick justice was awesome. Ben Balter from GitHub was great. Uh, Shemendra Paul from ODNI was great, but it, what I liked was taking a step back and looking at all the keynotes, like all the plenary sessions and that there was a, it wasn't like it was coordinated. It wasn't like we briefed these guys ahead of time and told them what to say. Um, but they were all kind of unanimous on themes, right? Yeah. This idea that like open source was inevitable, that it was changing technology and the government would do well to not only start using more of it, uh, but also start creating it. Right. So yes. we had Matthew Burton from CFPB, um, and, uh, department of energy, um, almost all the guy, all, all the agency folks were talking about how they were creating open source and putting it up on GitHub, like re- actually releasing open source projects and not just for yucks, um, but for, to actually advance concrete policy reasons to do it. Right. Um, I, I, that was really exciting to me. Um, you know, when we started doing the Red Hat Symposium, what, six, seven years ago, um, it, the idea that we would be able to fill oh, that larger room uh, and have people hear story after story after story about agencies releasing open source software, it would be unthinkable. Um, and it's yeah. really exciting to see that happen. Yeah, and, and so number one is driving the attendance of people to get there, but number two would be um, getting, it's like, oh, now we have a full room, but how can we get customers to stand up on stage and talk about it? Where now it's like, there's so many to choose from that, with great stories. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. That's so cool. It was almost as good as the Red Hat Summit. Yes. Yeah. Which is coming up. 
It's actually, we're doing it early this year. Um, and we're moving. It's going to be at the Moscone Center this year. Um, what is it, in March, April? When are we doing it? Uh, it's going to be in, um, yeah, it's going to be April, uh, the week of tax week. So Nice. Um, yeah, yeah. Easy to, easy to remember. Um, exactly. Yeah, get, <laughs> file early so you can make it. Um, and, um, and go so ahead. there's a call for, the call, and you're involved in this, Dave, right? Yep, yep, yeah. We're uh, I'm one of the summit session selection committee people. Um, so, yeah, so we're, we're picking the best of the best. Um, and so not only do we have that, but we also have the Innovation Awards nominations as well. I know we have a lot of, of uh, customers interested in nominating themselves for that from public sector. Uh, we're going to be very well represented in, in the voting. So November 19th is the deadline for uh, papers for the Red Hat Summit. So if you want to present at Red Hat Summit, uh, you need to submit your paper by November 19th. We just extended that deadline. And then the Innovation Award nominations are due on December 13th. So if you are extremely proud of the project that you worked on uh, using Red Hat stuff, um, December 13th is when you want to tell us about it so that you can uh, get to the Red Hat Summit and get up on stage and uh, get an award from the CEO, get all kinds of free press. Uh, so November 19th and now December 13th. Mm-hmm. Right very cool. So kind of speaking about, uh, you know, government and innovation and things happening, I'm noticing um, a, a trend that I'm really, really liking in the federal government. And I'm seeing a lot of very innovative, very like social media aware, very smart people getting involved um, within federal government contracts and, and projects, not, not necessarily contracts. Um and I'm really excited about that. And Gunnar, I know you have a chance a lot of times to talk to those people. So what, 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 what's your view on that? Yeah, so well, uh, part, so the, the party line on this, uh, the 30-second version of this, is just that the IT workforce in, is getting younger. And actually, the government workforce mm-hmm. is slowly getting younger, right? We have, um, you can throw around a bunch of like stupid terms like millennials or digital natives or something like that, but all those folks are now in their early twenties, um, at, you know, at their youngest, they're in their early twenties. And so they're entering the workforce and a lot of them enter the government workforce and they bring with them a whole bunch of assumptions about how the world is supposed to work, including like intelligent use of social media, open source and all the rest of it. And they are in fact like forcing change. Um, because you know, when the government, you know, when the white house, when the Obama administration first came into the white house and wanted to use Twitter, suddenly they had to go to GSA and like negotiate a new terms of service for Twitter uh, to make sure it complied with like the paperwork reduction act. I mean, there was all kinds of like crazy stuff they had to do in order to use this like basic tool. Um, and now, you know, these many years later, uh, we're seeing this become kind of a default uh, because people realize that in order to stay relevant and in order to deliver services to citizens, which is really what this is all about, uh, they need to do it in the ways that citizens expect it to. And so if Pepsi has a Twitter account, then uh, the Secretary of State better have one too. Mm. Awesome. That's, yeah, that's what I think about that. Yep. Um, so raise your hand if you're going to supercomputing. Did oh, you I hear just that? realized I could, yeah, no, I couldn't, I, I couldn't hear it over Adam's beard. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll let me hold my hand up closer to the microphone. <laughs> Okay, so Dave, you're going? Yes, I'll be there. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. be at Supercomputer. Looking forward to that because it's you know going back to my SGI days. I'm I'm sure I'm going to see a lot of uh, good friends from the past, um, and uh, they're still friends, and uh, it would be nice to catch up with them. 
And we got a, we, we usually have a really big presence at this show because that's a big deal. I mean, it's a big show. Um, but we've got, uh, I don't know, we've probably got uh, about 10 Red Hat folks going from all different product groups. And um, we've got, we've even got partners coming in there. We're doing work with IBM and NVIDIA. Um, we're going to showcase some really cool stuff. Customers. Um, customers. Uh, again, customers. That's right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I'm excited about that show. That should be good. Yeah. And then uh, you're going to be in Charleston, right? Yep, yep, yep. Next two weeks are going to be all DoD all the time for me. So uh, I'm doing the JBoss uh, and OpenShift Industry Day um, next Tuesday. Um, so when the show comes out, if you're listening to the show right when it came out, you have an hour to get to downtown Austin uh, to go see the uh, the JBoss show. Um, then from there, I go immediately to the C5 ISR conference in Charleston. And then the week after that, we go to... Uh, San Antonio for the uh, Alamo ACE, the uh, FCA event over there, where I'm going to talk about the the JIE, which is the uh, the new big deal in uh, in IT infrastructure in the DoD. So this should be fun. Mm-hmm. So Dave, I have a new favorite word. Okay, hit me. It's two words actually: warrant canary. Warrant canary, which is not an NSA cover term. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah. <laughs> That, so that was my guess. Yeah. <laughs> so I heard that actually my mother is the first person who turned me on to this. Uh, she had emailed, uh, she's a librarian. And so uh, when the Patriot Act passed, right, librarians were upset about the provision in the Patriot Act that said that when you get a net, when you get one of the uh, pa- uh, national security letters under the Patriot Act, that you're not allowed to disclose whether you received one or not, right? The idea is that you don't want the people you've subpoenaed to go tell the people who are in trouble that they're right. So it's a, like a gag order. Mm-hmm. Um, so librarians came up with this idea of like, well, I can't tell them whether I've received one or not, but what I can do is put up a sign that says, the government has not asked us for any information on who's, uh, who's borrowed which library books and put a big poster up in a conspicuous place in the library mm-hmm. and keep it there. And then as soon as they receive their first letter, you take the poster down. Interesting. Totally, totally legal. Um, and so there's a shorthand word for this. It's called a warrant canary, mm-hmm. right? Um, and uh, the reason why it was in the news recently is because Apple just uh, put one uh, in its transparency report. So uh, Apple, like Google, and I think Microsoft does this as well, they issue this regular report that says, these are the governments that have asked us for information on our users, right? Um, so this is, you could argue that this is information that the government should actually be telling us, but instead it's the um, the vendors. So uh, they put out this report saying, these are how many subpoenas we got, these are how many, basically these are how many wiretaps we received. Uh, and in it, there is language that says, we have not received any national security letters. Hmm. And so when the next one comes out, if that term, if that, if that sentence isn't in the report, then that means they received the national security letter and they can, so now they can tell people that they've received it without, uh, without breaking the law. I'm glad there are smart lawyers. I'm so su- I'm You'll never hear me say this again. I'm super glad that there are smart lawyers. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So another thing that I learned this week that I got going was that, um, some stuff with Google Voice. Um, so I, I think all three of us use Google Voice and we're, we're big fans of it. Um, but I, I always had a problem using it. Um, and we talked earlier in the show about all the crapware that's on phones. And um, one of the problems that I have is that with, I have a Samsung Galaxy S3, is that the dialer is not the Google dialer, it's actually a Samsung dialer. So it doesn't work really well with Google Voice. 
Um, so I had to do a couple things to get uh, to get it to work. And so hopefully these things will help people. So one is um, Voice Plus, which is an app that Gunnar, you turned me on to, which is pretty cool because with Google Voice, really that you had three basic choices where you could always use Google Voice for your, for dialing calls or never use Google Voice or ask me every single time. Um, but like in my case, you know, if you're trying to dial like an 800 number or, uh, you know, in my case, I also have like my A-list on AT&T where I list a bunch of my favorite numbers that I want to be free. And so I, I will always list the... Um, like our, our conference calling bridge as like one that I want to be free. And, and, and I always want that to go through the AT&T dialer instead of Google Voice. So that would be free minutes for me. So it's like pretty cool. Um, but the problem that I have is that whenever you, and so that would work, I could bucketize to who I want to use AT&T, how much, who I want to go over Google Voice, that works. But the problem I have is that in the dialer, um, the, the call log doesn't list the number I was dialing. It instead lists the Google bridge that it connected to to make the Google the call through Google Voice. So if I would hit the redial button, it would just call the Google Voice bridge, which you know really it doesn't really go anywhere. Um, so what I found uh, today was a thing called uh, GV outbound call log repair, which will actually um, if you make a call through Google Voice, it will go back into your um, call log and and snip out the Google Voice bridge number and then paste in the number that you were intending to dial. So if you hit the redial button, it'll do the right thing. And it's it works great. I was I was pretty surprised. But oh, but right like on. you guys, like if you're all Nexus stuff, that that's not a problem, right? It works out of the box. Yeah, we don't have such problems. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know yeah, no. Because because we're pure of heart. We are yes. clean limbed and clear eyed and, and, and don't mess with the uh with the crapware. Um but I so I got another tip um yeah. re- related to this. So I don't know about you folks, but I, you know, calendar is a, an important part of my toolbox. Yes. Um obviously. And one of the things I do with my calendar is I keep track of stuff that you wouldn't necessarily think would be useful to keep track of. So uh, I like keeping track of when I read a particular article. Um, I like re, uh, I like keeping track of uh, when I've called somebody. Um, just because it's handy when I go back and say, like, oh, I was reading something on Wednesday. I don't remember what it was, but I was really interested. Maybe I need to go back and, and check it out. Um, so I have a special calendar called Log. And on Log, I put all these little notes. So I have, you, you know how I get, um, you can imagine this, like, elaborate, if this, then that set of recipes that like put all these entries into my calendar when I, um, when I check off an item in pocket or, or Insta paper. Anyway, um, call track, uh, is an app that will, uh, put an entry into your calendar, uh, for every phone call that you've been on. Mm. So you can, uh, go back and say, well, how did I spend my day? And I can look and see, uh, you know, for, in my case, like little orange entries in my calendar for the, all the time that I was on the phone. That that could be interesting to see how much time it's like. I, is it me or like I know like my my earbuds are almost fused to my head some days. Um, <laughs> That's right. But yeah. So what, yeah, then no. then you just do like a Hadoop job every night on on this all this data that you're collecting or. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I, I wrote some uh, simple uh, Erlang enclosure uh, jobs uh, <laughs> to do with some uh, MapReduce analysis of uh, of my call track logs. Um, no, I, you know I don't go totally crazy about it, uh, but 
it is useful, as you say, to see how you are in fact spending your time. Yeah. Um, and I find it was really easy. It was nice, uh, to be able to see like when I was mostly on the phone and when I, uh, when I'm not on the phone, mm-hmm. um, just to kind of see the trends, yeah. uh, was really instructive. What um, if, and also, know. and also, and also by the way, to see calls scheduled on my calendar that I never actually dialed into, um, and to see which like over time, like there are regular meetings that I just don't attend. And maybe I ought to think about just taking that meeting off my calendar and telling them you're not showing. Exactly. Yeah. Gunner, what if, what if there was a way for the phone company to send you this kind of information? If they had like maybe once a month, if they sent you something with like all of the calls and how long you were on them, would that be useful to you? No, that's, that sounds really tedious. No, that sounds That sounds crazy. Um, well, if actually, I'll tell you what, if AT&T would send me the data in ICS format so I could import it in my calendar, yes. The answer is yes. That, well, that would be great. They only ship it in ICS format to the NSA, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, it's XML. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Um, but <laughs> that's, yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Uh you know, so I was looking, uh, I got a coffee meeting coming up mm-hmm. and, uh, I was wondering if uh, you guys had any tips for awesome coffee meetings. Yes. I have, um, 10 of them. Hmm. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yep. Oh, so what is a, what is a, I see this in the notes. I don't know what a coffee meeting is. Yeah. So I thought it was pretty interesting, um, where you're like, let's say that there's like a busy person and you want to meet with them to talk about one thing or another, um, it's like, well, hey, let's have coffee. We'll talk about it. And, and so that's a coffee meeting. And so basically there, there are ways to do it from how do you ask the right way, um, which I thought was pretty interesting where, where you try to be very clear in terms of, well, this is the objective. You make it, you know, and you want to pace the, the meeting for the, the time it takes to drink a cup, a cup of coffee um, and, and things like that. And there's some nice templates on that. Um, and, and just some of the etiquette for it. And, and also like, you know how we're big fans of action items afterwards and, and doing follow up afterwards and, and offering value and ending on time and and stuff like that. So I thought it was a really good article, especially for me where, you know, like a lot of times you're trying to reach out to very high level people that are very, very busy. And how do you get them to say yes and, and make it really easy for them to say yes. And, um, doing things like putting, putting bounds around, um, and, and so by saying that, Hey, it's just a cup of coffee. It's not like a three hour meeting or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Oh, that sounds really handy. Cool. Yeah. Um, speaking of, speaking of being time bound, um, when you say you guys, uh, you guys want to wrap this up? Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm ready to go home. I'm wrapped. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Thanks. Adam, Adam. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, yeah Adam, no, thanks for it. Those are, yeah, those are great. This is nice. It's nice to have a nice to have a third person in the room, so to speak. Well, there's two in this one, uh, but yeah, we can, uh, <laughs> we can do it again sometime. Yeah. All right. That sounds good. That sounds good. We'll, we'll put you in normal in a death match to find out who's going to be on the next episode. <laughs> yeah. Arm wrestling. Yeah. 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 Whoever has a, uh, the biggest beard. That's right. He yeah. hasn't got the beard for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Um, thanks guys. And, uh, uh, have a great week, everyone. Yep. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>